Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Think of it this way. You did not lose an hour of sleep. You lost an hour of rain. That's awesome. That's the way to look at it. Hey, so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we started last week uh, a new series called Eyes for Eternity, Hearts for Heaven. And Joe did a great job of kicking us off. And we talked a little bit about uh, our lives. And we looked at this rope as symbolic of our lives. And so if you look at this rope or would know where this rope went, it goes all the way backstage forever and ever and ever. Amen. It never stops. It goes on and on and on around the globe in this, the Milky Way, all throughout a black hole and somewhere out in outer space. Like it is infinite. It goes on forever. And this little portion of the red, this little red portion of the rope it is our lives here. It's, it's what we do currently. It starts when we're born. And it ends when we die physically, when this body decays and dies. And this, is, this represents, and if you looked at it in light of the entire rope, it is a very, very small portion of our lives. Very small. And you think about when you were born and then, you know, a couple of years later you might go to school and then you, uh, maybe you get your first little boyfriend and then he breaks up with you because boys are morons. And then you graduate from high school and maybe get a driver's license somewhere in there and maybe you go to college, but at some point you get a job and then you have a career and uh, you move on towards hopefully maybe you save enough money where you don't have to work full time and then you get to the end and your body dies and this is... This is a small portion, and we spend a lot of effort and energy focused right here, don't we? We spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of money, we spend a lot of intensity, a lot of resourcing right here, not thinking about how it impacts everything else that goes on and on. And so what we wanted to capture with this series was just this idea that we should recapture eyes for eternity. We should get a bigger picture. We should step back a little bit and catch a vision for our lives that's bigger than what we currently face. Because when that happens, we'll act differently, won't we? We'll respond differently. We'll view our work differently. We'll view our parenting differently. We'll view our marriages differently. We'll view our relationships differently because they will mean different things. Now, C.S. Lewis said this about, about how we live. He said, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for this world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Because we forget to think about there's more to life. We forget to think about heaven. We get bogged down in the details of life. We forget, so we become ineffective at doing the things that we're supposed to do here. And so we just wanted to lift our gaze for a few weeks just to think a little bit more about our future. To think about how we can invest in some things that matter. Now, how many of you have ever traveled to Europe? So, so quite a few. Like a lot of people, anybody in this section, Europe. All right, great. A lot of you guys. That's the rich crowd over here. And so um, if you go to Europe, one of the things that kind of gets your attention is how old the buildings are. Like we think things are old here, but when you go to Europe and even other places in the world, of course, but Europe specifically, we have buildings that are centuries old, not just decades old. So the, it takes a long time to build buildings that last that long. So you may go to a cathedral. For instance, there's St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It took 344 years to build. Can you imagine? St. Peter's took 144 years to build. They, they started building these cathedrals without with knowing that they would not be there when they were complete. Like, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that because I like instant gratification. Thank you, microwave. Like, I like quick. But they had a view towards something different. Why would they spend that time? Why would they invest those kind of resources? It's because they wanted to build something that would stand the test of time. 
They wanted to build cathedrals that would stand the test of time. And some people build lives like this. Some people build cathedral lives, lives that will stand the test of time. Maybe you've known some of these people. Maybe you had a grandparent or great-grandparent you may have only heard of, but they changed the legacy of your family just by their belief in what was coming later, by their investment, by their sacrifice to give so that you could have the blessing and the reward of their investment. And we read about people, heroes or who have biographies are always people who have built cathedral lives. They've invested now for later. They believe that better was coming, even though they may not see it now. Eventually, one day, they would see it. And I think we all would love to build cathedral lives, lives that would stand the test of time. Now, now to contrast that, there's another type of life that you can build. How many of you um, are watching American Idol just started back? Yeah, come on, handful. Anybody in this section? Gosh, you're rich and busy. So um, American Idol, obviously kind of one of the shows that where you come and you sing, and if you're good, you get to go on, and maybe you'll become a star. So this last week, Debbie and I were watching it last Sunday evening. And as we're watching it, one of the contestants comes up, and she's before the three judges. You got Luke Bryan, you got Katy Perry, and you got Lionel Richie. Anybody remember Lionel Richie? If you're over the age of 40, a handful of you do, right? All the younger crowd's like, who is that guy, Right? They're so enamored with Katie's eyeshadow. But anyway, so they stand before these three judges and they sing. And if the judges say, thumbs up, you're good, you get a vote, you get to keep moving. But if they say, no, you're not good, hey, you're going to have to go home. And one particular contestant, they were at, at talking, having this conversation. In the conversation, the contestant said this, this means everything to me. And I thought to myself, how sad. Because you're putting everything of your life in the hands of these three judges. Three judges that could change their mind. Three judges that aren't perfect. Three judges that, 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 that just have an opinion. Three judges that could, could crush your everything. And that particular contestant was building a sandcastle kind of life. That anything could come against that kind of life. Knock it down. Erode it. And you would have no idea that it even existed. And I wonder how many people may be building sandcastle lives today. Like we're so focused on the here and now. We're so focused on our goals, on our progress, on our problems, on everything for us. We're not investing in a cathedral life. We're not investing our money, our relationships, our time in building a life that's going to stand the test of time. Like, like how can we do that? One way that will make it easier to build a cathedral life is to know what's on the rest of this rope. Like one way that will help us move beyond the red to the rest is to know what this is. What is it that we're looking forward to? What is it that we'll get to do? What is it that we'll get to experience? And, and how can we be sure that we get what we enjoy? So we're going to unpack that a little bit today. So let's grab our Bibles. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can always grab a paperback and go to 562 for today. Or just go to the Stone Creek app. We'll have the verses there for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to hit verses 1 through 10. If you're new to Bible study, you'll kind of see things numbered there. Um, I'm going to start out in verse 1 for quite a long period of time. But we will get through 10. So 2 Corinthians 5, chapter, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. Paul is who's writing this. And so Paul says this, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, and right there when he says tent, he means our physical body, like what we have right now, 
you know, and so uh, for you, it's your body. So do this. Take your right hand, reach over to your left arm, and pinch it right now, right? Did that hurt? You didn't try hard enough. Like, pinch it. And so that's your physical body. That's what we're talking about, what we can feel, right? It's right here. And he says this. We, we have, if we know that the tent of our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So if this physical body is destroyed... We don't have to worry because we have another one, a permanent one, eternal in the heavens. And so, so let's talk a little bit about this physical tent that we have. I love this imagery because um, some of you, how many campers are in the house you like to go camping? Like how many of you just completely hate camping? Like camping for you is a queen size bed instead of a king size bed. A lot of you over here because y'all are rich. Come on, raise your hand. So here's the irony of this. For those of you who hate camping, you're camping right now and didn't know it. And I just told you. Um, but, but we know that a tent, especially when it comes to camping, a tent is temporary. A tent is it's not secure. It's not stable. A tent can be difficult if you were to live in it permanently. Now, now here's a funny story about, about just kind of the dangers of a tent. Several months ago, we were having an off-site planning. Joe shared this story uh, a little bit, but we were having an off-site planning meeting. Some of our leadership were getting away just to plan for the next few months, just kind of dream and envision. So we had, we had a few days squared, uh, cut out of our calendar to be able to go into plan and to be out of the office. Well, it just so happens that on that, that very time that we were to be gone, it came to our attention that there was a Chick-fil-A over in Canton that was opening, uh, having a grand opening over in Hickory Flat. Some of you uh, have been there. And so when the, the, some, something that I didn't know, but a couple of guys on our staff knew that when Chick-fil-A opens a brand new store, if you will go 24 hours before it opens, so if it opens at 6 a.m., if you go to 6 a.m. the previous day and you stay from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m., 24 hours, if you go and you camp out and you stay all day, when you get to that, when you cross the finish line, you get free Chick-fil-A for a year. Like, amazing. That sounds like heaven, doesn't it? You get free Chick-fil-A for a year. And so my, my guys had this brilliant idea that we should go and just have our planning meeting in the parking lot of Chick-fil-A, camp out all night, and win Chick-fil-A for a year. I personally thought it was a terrible idea. I'll be honest. And, uh, but hey, I'm a team player, so I went along with it. So the, part of the deal was you had to show up early. Well, I wasn't even going to show up early. I was just going to go for the times of our meeting and go home. But then they'd let me know at 530 that morning. And if I didn't show up at 6, then we weren't going to be able to have this adventure that they wanted to have. And so I throw some stuff in the car and I get down there. And so we meet all day. We have a big tent. We have our lawn chairs. We have our computers. We have access to the internet. Um, we have access to power. Um, we brought our TV so we could play the Xbox. Like we were ready. We're there all day. So nighttime comes and we've been there all day, and so it's time to go to sleep. And so there was this one six-man tent that all the other guys got in, and they were wanting me to get in there with them. I'm like, you have lost your mind. Like, there is no way I'm getting in that tent with you clowns. I brought my own one-man tent. And so I pitched my tent, I climb in it, I zip it, and uh, I kind of had to finagle some things, like, to alert me when those guys came over and tried to mess with me. But I was prepared. It's called a 357 Magnum. And so I'm ready. And so while I'm sleeping, all of a sudden the wind starts blowing 15 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, 300 miles an hour. And I'm scared that the wind is going to pick up my tent and move it into the middle of the intersection. I'm going to get hit by a car because that's what tents do. They are not stable. And this is, this is the way our earthly body is. It's good for a purpose, but it's not meant to last forever. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed this? So kids don't know this, do they? 
They're riding their bike for six hours. They're grabbing some lunch. They're, on the, they're in the pool for four hours. They're grabbing some dinner. They're playing PS4 until three in the morning, go to sleep, wake up, do it all over again. Like, I don't know about you, but, but I can hurt myself sleeping these days. Like, I'll go to sleep and wake up, and I'm just like, where did that come from? Did somebody attack me in the middle of the night? And I didn't know about it. Like, I think we, like our bodies are deteriorating. Not to worry. We get a new one. Not to worry. Death is coming for us all. And the truth is that our bodies are weak. But we get a new one. Eventually, our bodies are going to give out, whether through old age, whether through disease, whether through a tragic accident, our bodies are going to give out. But because we're building cathedral lives and because we have eternity in our eyes, we can see beyond that. You see, what Paul is saying in this passage is that we get a heavenly body. We get a resurrected body. Now, we see evidence of this body in Jesus. So as you read about the life of Jesus and the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, he was resurrected and he came back and, and we, people knew who he was. He was identifiable. He was himself. People looked at him like, oh, Jesus, Jesus ate. He ate. He cooked fish by uh, the sea and cooked it for his friends. Jesus had a resurrected body. This is the image we can get for our resurrected body, what we can hope for, what we can expect. So, so some of the things we don't know about it, some of the things we do know about it. I'm, you know, I'm going to go with Jesus was 33, maybe we'll be 33, you know? And if I'm voting, I want the hairline and waistline I had in high school, don't you? I want 7.5% body fat. Like, no matter what we do, our body is going to deteriorate. It doesn't matter how well we eat, how many push-ups we do, how much essential oils we put on, how much herbs we take. Our body's going to deteriorate. But we get a resurrected body. We get a new body that's going to be perfect for the purposes God has for us. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 43, it says this. It says that the righteous, will, well, maybe up there it says it. Um, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The righteous being those of us who follow Jesus. We will shine. We'll have purpose. We will be perfect. Our bodies will be restored now, not only will our bodies be restored, but the earth is going to be restored. The earth will be restored in heaven. He goes on to say that in verse 1. He says, um, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. We have the fact that earth is restored. Now, when we see this word eternal, when we see this, we're having some struggles. <laughs> Let me just say this. This will not happen in heaven. That's all I'm saying. Ah, so eternal in the heavens, right? Eternal. Now let's think about this word eternal for a minute. When we think of eternal, we think of eternity. We think of eternity. Eternity, when we think of it initially, it's just on and on and on and on. Forever and ever it goes. Isn't that right? That's what we think of. When we think of eternity, we think of infinity. And usually eternity has some negative connotations. Like that lasted an eternity. Have you ever been in a meeting at work and like, man, this is thing that's going to last eternity? Have you ever been, maybe, maybe your kids came home and were telling you a story, and you're like, this thing is going to go on through infinity. <laughs> Have you ever been in church and thought, oh, my goodness. That... Just kidding. You didn't think that. <laughs> Eternity is about quantity of time for certain. It's forever. But it's also about quality. It's also about quality. Eternity is long, but it's also full of life. In John chapter 10 Verse 10, Jesus is talking about eternity. He says, 
The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the forever and ever. No, to the full. This is the eternity that we have. And the way it kind of shakes out is that Jesus makes all things new. Sometimes we think that he makes all new things. No. Jesus makes all things new. Restore to their original condition. So when you think back to the original condition, you think back to the Garden of Eden. You think about to how creation was originally created. The purpose that it had before the fall, before sin happened. So the earth is going to function like it's supposed to. There'll be no more hurricanes. There'll be no more tornadoes that kill 23 people in Alabama. There'll be no more tidal waves. There'll be no more global warming or lack thereof. There'll be no more polar ice cap melt because it's going to work the way it's supposed to work. And then with our resurrected, restored body and with a restored earth, we get to have it to the full. You know, sometimes we think that eternity is going to look like us singing songs forever and ever and ever. Well, if you like singing, you can do that. Now, I think most of us will be compelled to sing, but it's not what we're going to do forever and ever and ever. We're going to be productive in eternity. We know that right now Jesus is working. He's preparing a place for us. Guess what? He's working. We get to work. We get to pursue the things that we love and enjoy. It will be perfect. You know, we know that heaven is going to be a place where the streets are paved with gold, where the animals are going to be restored to their original condition. Like, can you imagine the majesty of some animals if right now the way that they are operating is less than perfect? Can you imagine the majesty of an elephant? Like, can you imagine what, you know what a cat's going to look like in heaven? A lion. And all my cat jokes are going to come back to haunt me. But we will get along with animals. Like there won't be this fear between animals and us. We will be partners with them in creation. We'll have streets of gold. One of the things I love about the idea of heaven is we won't be frustrated anymore. Like what about this week frustrated you? Maybe you lost your keys, something simple. Maybe your car broke down. Maybe you were pursuing somebody and they shut you down and said no and you got frustrated. Like what is it that's frustrating you about life? It'll be gone. There'll be no frustration in heaven. I love the idea of celebration in heaven, don't you? Like it's going to be this continual celebration. There is this picture of heaven that's painted that, that we come and we sit at this banquet table with Jesus. And we have a place that's ours at the table. Last night I was at a banquet, a gala, and we all went to sit at this table. And we all had our table numbers, but there was two less spots than people. And so somebody had to go sit at a different table. Like, that won't happen in heaven. Like, like there's a na- has, you have a name card in heaven. And there'll be a host there. And they'll say, hey, you're at, over there. Your name, ta- your name card's over there. And you'll go and you'll sit at the name card and you'll tell stories with people. Like, who would you love to tell stories with? Like, who are you missing right now that you would love to swap stories with? You'll be able to tell stories about the thing that happens during the red part of the rope. You'll be able to tell stories. There will be eating and drinking and feasting. We'll get to talk face-to-face with Jesus himself. And, oh, that is the great treasure of heaven, isn't it? Jesus will be there. We'll get to understand his love for us. Man, we'll get to see him face-to-face. We'll get to see his compassion and his purpose for us. Man, we will get to experience his deep love, life-changing, transforming. Just being in his presence will transform us. And that's part of it. Our bodies are going to work perfectly. 
Like, like we all know they don't work right now. Like, think about our immune system. We won't, we won't need it because there'll be no sickness. What we know is there's no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow. If you look back over your life right now, what is your greatest sorrow? It will be completely erased when we step into eternity. This is what we have to live for. This is what is coming for us. This is the description of heaven that we have, and we need to fight to hang on to that. It's going to be more than we could ever ask or imagine. Like, how do I know that? How can I be certain of that? Watch what happens in 2 Corinthians as he keeps going in this passage. So in this tent we groan. So we've got this earthly tent we groan, sometimes physically, sometimes symbolically, right? Um, We long to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we won't be found naked. And while we are still in this tent, we groan. In other words, we have something else we want. We're burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. So what he's saying is like, we're not groaning so we could just get rid of this tent so that we could die. That's not why we're groaning. But that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. There's something in all of us that recognizes this isn't all there is. And we're longing for life. And he goes on to say, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So God is the one who has placed this in our heart. The reason we have longing, the reason we have desires, the reason why we know there's more to it than this is because God has put it there. It is God's fault. It is God's privilege to us and dignity. The reason why you know there's more to your life, the reason why there are times you feel restless is because God's put eternity in there. Some of you have experienced that, but you've not experienced understanding that Jesus is the one who put it there. You've gone from thing to thing to thing to thing. You've tried to fill your life, to fill these desires with things that can't satisfy. Sandcastles, that's what you're building. You've gone from job to job, relationship to relationship, bank account to bank account, hobby to hobby, vacation to vacation, experience to experience, and you still can't, it's, you're still not satisfied. It's because you're building a sandcastle. And the, and the reality is our deepest desire, our deepest desire is to accomplish a work worthy of eternity, a cathedral. That's what your desires are about. That's what's happening in your heart. The longings that you have were put there by God so you would go after him, pursue him, and build a cathedral kind of life that can stand the test of time. But sometimes we don't, we don't do that. Sometimes we settle for just living for this red. We get locked in, don't we? Like imagine you went out and bought... 10 acres of land. Let's just say you went out and bought 10 acres maybe off of Freemanville or somewhere off of Birmingham Highway up there and you're going to build a house and you build like your dream home. It's got everything you wanted on it. You know, you build it with, you got a mud room and you got a three-car garage. You got a place for your boat and for your Harley and for your jet skis and you, you got a place to put all these things. Then you go and try to start to fill it up. But to fill it up, the only thing that you're able to put in there and what you think is going to be awesome is your dorm room furniture. Think back, for those of you who went to college, your dorm room furniture. So you get your bunk beds that you had in college your freshman year. That's your bed for you and your spouse and your four kids. Like your couch, what you put in your living area, it's down there in the lobby of your dorm room. Yeah, it's still torn and smells really bad. And it was even a hand-me-down, but that's all you have. And you put that, and you have this beautiful house, and you walk in, and this is what you fill it with. 
That's what happens when we're building sandcastles. God said, there's a better way. So how do we get there? What does it look like for these longings to be satisfied and for us to build cathedral kind of lives? Paul keeps on going in verse 6. He says, we're always of good courage. We know that if we're at home in the body, meaning like right now, we're away from the Lord, meaning that physically right now we're away from Jesus, right? He is in heaven. We aren't. And so we're physically apart. But we walk by faith. So we believe in him. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. And we would rather be away from our body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, it doesn't really matter. We make it our aim, our goal, our focus in life is to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So here's the reality. Before we go in and to to be able to secure what we want to secure, to enjoy throughout eternity, we're going to face judgment. Like you're going to face judgment, I'm going to face judgment. Billy Graham faced judgment. Mother Teresa faced judgment. Everybody's going to face judgment. Like this is what's going to happen. Judge on what? Good or evil. Good or evil. So, so, So judgment can be good or bad, can it? So think about this. If you're driving down the road and whoever you're traveling with says, there's a policeman. If you are speeding, what do you do? You can do one of two things. You can try to speed up and outrun them, which is what I generally do. Or you can slow down because you realize I'm, I'm, I'm outside the bounds. I'm outside the law. I'm outside the rules. Okay. Or if, if you're going the speed limit and somebody says, there's a policeman, what do you do? You just change the dial on the radio because you don't care. Because you're doing good. And so for those who are doing good, judgment's not a problem. For those who are evil, judgment's going to be a problem. And so let's talk about the two ways we'll be judged. The two things that can happen coming out of judgment. Judgment for evil is going to be punishment. And punishment in the Bible looks like hell. H-E, double hockey sticks, hell. Now, when we think about hell, sometimes we think of hell's angels or maybe we think of hell week. I was in a fraternity. We went through hell week and we didn't sleep and uh, I don't even belong in that fraternity anymore. So that was a waste of my time. Um, There's hell's kitchen. You know, we have ideas about hell. You've been in an experience like this is hell. You've thought that to yourself. Um, maybe uh, Maybe you were at the DMV and you thought this experience is hell. And you're probably close to right. But what what is hell in the Bible? So let me just describe it for us. Sometimes we think that hell is like, it might exist, but if it does, it's not that bad. It's where all my friends will be, so why not be there? We'll have a party. Sadly mistaken. Detrimentally mistaken. Mortally mistaken. So here's description of hell. So hell, when Jesus talks about it, he refers to it as Gehenna. So You have the city of Jerusalem where Jesus got crucified. They executed him. Outside the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the worship center for Judaism. Outside of Jerusalem was this place that they called Gehenna. A couple thousand years before Jesus, Gehenna was inhabited by people who worshipped a god named Molech. Everybody say Molech together. Molech. So Molech, they're worshipping this god named Molech. Probably not a good idea to say a fake god's name, but we just did. So, um... Molech, they had some pretty deviant behavior. One of them being they sacrificed children. 
So they sacrificed children here. When they kind of got out of the picture, nobody from Jerusalem wanted anything to do with that particular area of the city. So they made it the town dump. So it starts out already dark with bad memories, everything. And then now they've made it the town dump. They built some walls. And so they would throw their trash there and it burned 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They would take criminals' bodies who were executed. They would take their bodies, they would take them, they would take them out to Gehenna. They would throw them over the wall so that they could just burn continually. Wild dogs ran around inside Gehenna. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. Every now and then when the wind would blow just right, you would get this smell of Gehenna across Jerusalem. That smell of flesh burning, the smell of trash burning, the smell of devastation. And this is the language that Jesus uses when he talks about hell. Hell is a place of unending torment. It's a place of unquenchable loneliness. When you go there, you're all by yourself. It's a place where there is no death. Which on the one hand would be awesome, except you're in eternal suffering and there is no relief. It's a place of unsatisfied longings. You will have desires, but not be able to quench them because you're in hell. And it is forever. Jesus was referring to a literal place when he talked about hell because it is a literal place. Hell. Now, now some people say, man, Stephen, that's, that sounds like a fear tactic. It is. It is. One of the reasons I came to Christ is I began to realize that I was apart from Christ, that this was going to be my eternal destination. It was going to be hell. Now, now you don't want to always be screaming about hell. And I think we have maybe swung the pendulum too far at never talking about hell. Hell's a real place and real people can go there. Now, here's what's ironic about who Jesus told about hell. Like, if you could think of a category of person in your mind, who would you think he talked to the most about hell? What group of people? If you read through his life, Jesus didn't talk to the sexually promiscuous about going to hell. Jesus didn't talk to the liars about going to hell. He didn't talk to, he didn't talk to the murderers, the gossips, the gluttons about going to hell. You know who he talked to the most about hell was? Religious people. People who had a form of spirituality but no action. People who gave lip service to following God but their actions didn't show it. And I think that's probably a great wake-up call for us because potentially many of us could fall into that. We could be the ones who give it lip service but don't actually lean into the actions that come with building a cathedral kind of life. Like like that's punishment. Hell's a real place. Now, now, Now... There's also reward. Hell is not the only part of judgment. We'll all go for judgment, and there's opportunity for us to get rewards. Now, I don't know about you, but I like rewards. I like a pat on the back. I like a word of encouragement. I like a great gift at times. I love rewards. I love to win stuff. I love rewards because we're all built that way. And so what are some of the rewards that we can experience as we live our life through eternity? Like, what are some of the rewards that we can have And so let's unpack a few of those rewards. The first one is called the incorruptible crown. It's called the incorruptible crown. This is the first crown that you can get. So the incorruptible crown is a crown that you receive for just growing in spiritual maturity. 
for just understanding more about who God is, for committing your life to have practices each and every day that make you look more like God. So what are those practices? Like for many of us, one of the things that we could do would be to get up early in the morning and spend some dedicated, committed time with God so that we could pray, so that we could read his words, and so that we could understand his plan for our day. Like, we feel like maybe it's a sacrifice to get up a little earlier, but that's because we're focused on the red. If we focused on eternity to get up a little early in the morning and to go through some spiritual practices of reading our Bible and praying and fasting and being generous to give our money, we would do that because we know that we're going to be repaid with a crown that's incorruptible. First one is some of you are already getting that crown. One of the reasons we want you in a quip group is we want everybody to get that crown. And the next crown is called the crown of righteousness. Now, this is for people who continually look beyond today, beyond the red, into eternity. They continually long for Jesus to come back. They, they look into the future and like, oh, okay, maybe today's the day. They look for Jesus. They expect him. They think about it. It's a reality in their life. It's not just something that they, they've dreamed of. It's something that they expect and believe could happen. It's called the crown of righteousness. And that's something we all can do. We all can be reminded. That's why we're having this series, so that we can lean into the crown of righteousness. I mean, the third one is called the crown of rejoicing. It's called the crown of rejoicing. Like this particular crown is for people who helped others believe in Christ for the first time. This is for people who are what you would call a soul winner. I mean, they, they tell people about Jesus so that other people can come to know him. We want everybody to get that crown. That's why you have these invite cards in your chair. It's because we believe that we have this opportunity to tell people. Like, if we believe that hell is a real place, we got to tell somebody, don't we? If we believe that this is truly somewhere that somebody is going, we have got to be sure we do everything we can for everybody to have a place at the table when they get to heaven. And so we want to be about telling people, like some of you today, you're sitting with a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, which on a day like today, I think you get two crowns for that because that's pretty awesome. And so you, you invite people, you reach across to your neighbor, you invite them, you talk to them about Jesus, somebody at work, you're just generating spiritual conversations. You get the crown of rejoicing. The next one is the crown of glory. The next one is the crown, the crown of glory. The crown of glory is for people who helped others, who shepherded others. It's for, some of you, it's, it's for some of you Stone Creek kids group leaders who get up every Sunday morning. You come and sit in a circle with kids and you talk to them. You help them grow. You serve them. It's for some of you wake leaders that show up every Wednesday night and you sit with a group of middle school or high school students and you get two of these crowns for middle schoolers too, is my understanding. And you sit and you serve. You take meals to people when they've gone through a difficulty. If they're at the hospital, you go and visit them. You help meet needs of people maybe if they clo need clothes or they're hungry and they're living in poverty. And you go and you meet those needs. That's the, that's the crown of glory. Man, we really believe everybody can be a part of that by serving other people and turning our eyes outside. Then there's the, then there's the crown of life. The crown of life. This is for people who undergo difficulty, but they hang on to Jesus. It's for people who go through that health crisis. It's for people who go through that divorce. It's for people who go through that abuse, that abandonment, people who go through that accident, people who are struggling, and have, but they hang on. They say, God, I still believe that you're good. I still believe you have good for me, and I believe I will see you work, and I'm going to hang on for eternity. This, that's the crown of life. It's the crown of life. That's how you build a cathedral, very practical steps. 
Man, there's one word that's mentioned in here seven times one more in, this, in this passage, verse 1 through 10. And it's, it's the most frequent word that's used when it talks about our heavenly dwelling and where we're going to go and about eternity. And it's the word home. Don't you love home? Like home is different than traveling. You know, when you travel, you live out of a suitcase. You don't, you don't put down roots. You're not with your family and generally not with your friends. But man, when you go home, you get to go into a place of rest, a place where you know that you belong. Like this is, this is what home's like. Have you ever been maybe somewhere and you're like, I just want to go home? just want to go home. Man, there have been so many times in life when I've, man, I'm just like, I want to go home. It's just, it's something we all long for. It's something that's built deep into our lives because God's put us there. And because, because we're not home yet. Several years ago, one of my children was in the hospital for months at a time. And I can remember that he couldn't go home because there were some things that had to get fixed before he could go home. And we didn't know when we were going home. And so that one Sunday morning, I remember going into the chapel there at the hospital down at Scottish Rite. And I remember going in to the chapel and we're just praying and he just wanted to go home. He didn't want to cry because he knew that would bother me. I don't know why he thought that. But he just wanted to go home. And we all know that feeling. We have eyes for eternity because we know we're going home. There's going to come a day where there's no more tears. There's going to come a day when we get a new body. There's going to come a day when we get a new relationship. There's going to come a day when we get a new home. And we want to be sure that we bring everybody with us that we can because they want to go home too. Let's pray. So God, how good could you be that you create a home for us? Man, that our hearts will be captured by the home that you've created for us, by the future that awaits us, by the eternity that we get to experience, by the good that you have for us. God, how amazing could you be? Lord, I pray that beyond the words that have been spoken that are feeble, God, you would just place eternity in our hearts. Give our eyes some vision for what you have for us in eternity, God. For those who won't experience it, who aren't following Jesus today, God, for those who are, who are moving towards hell, who don't know what faith is, God, that today would be the day they would change their life. They would change direction. God, they would change their future and they would begin building a cathedral. God, for those of us who've been building sandcastles, we've just been focused on our agenda, our schedule, our comfort, our, our resume, our education, our future. God, help us to see beyond that today, to see to the, the life in the cathedral that you want us to build. God, we, we need more. We need more vision and we need help to get there. And, but we're grateful that you're gonna give it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.